Thank you for tuning in to the Unjiggered Podcast. If you enjoy listening, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating on your podcast service of choice. Also, don't forget to like and tag us on Instagram at unjiggered underscore media. Thank you to everybody for listening, and now, on with the show. You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week we have Gerald Koo, bar manager of Jigger and Pony, number 29 on World's Best Bars, located in Singapore. We chat about working in Starbucks, his time in the Mandatory National Service of Singapore, joining Jigger and Pony and helping to move it from an independent to a hotel bar as well as breaking down their latest menu. With this podcast we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. Good day everybody, my name is Jarrah Koo. I'm from Jigger and Pony, bar manager. How's everything? Hey, everything's great man, like it's a sunny day, a nice day. How, uh, how are you surviving in Singapore heat? Any travel uh, soon? I'm still or? getting uh, used to the heat after 28. <laughs> sorry, 29 years. <laughs> Are you saying travels? Yeah, any travels uh, uh, end up soon? No, no. This year, we're slowing down a bit. You know, just want to focus more on bar operations this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last year, there was a bit of a traveling every month or so. But this year, you know, I think we decided to stay put for me. Yeah, at least for me. You know, stay put and uh, focus on the operations in, uh, at Jigger and Pony. So, we all know you from Jigger and Pony, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where did your career start, however? What was your first hospitality gig? Um, in fact, my first career started... Funny thing was this... I was just thinking about this question last night, you know, just thinking that maybe today, Michele will yeah, pop this question. Yeah. You'll yeah. get grilled about it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, in fact, it started th- 13 years ago. Yeah, I'm 30 this year. And then when I was 17, my first job was working in a cafe called Starbucks. You worked at Starbucks? Yeah, that was my first F&B ever. You yeah. know that actually, like, I applied for a job in Starbucks when I moved to London and I actually yeah. rejected my CV. Yeah, because you're Italian. You could be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, this guy would not like our coffee. How was Starbucks? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was great, man. Like, you know, I went to Starbucks. So I, when, I went, when I joined Starbucks, it was, just needed a job, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Just wanted something to do after after school. Funny thing was that, you know, on the first day of training, they were asking us, well, what was your favorite drink in Starbucks? But I never had a drink in Starbucks before. You never <laughs> had a drink in Starbucks? Yeah. Okay. Uh, back then, I mean, Starbucks was a bit of a luxury, you know, you could only find it in, in places like uh, Orchard Road, uh, downtown, you could, you know, compared to what you have today, you know, you can find it anywhere in, in Singapore. So back then, Starbucks was considered a luxury, so something that mm-hmm. not 17-year-old, 16-year-old me would afford. Uh-huh. So the answer that I gave for my favorite drink in Starbucks was a drink not from Starbucks, but from Coffee Bean. Really? <laughs> what did they say? Yeah. It's like, ah, it's either a mocha or a latte. It's not a mocha latte. But Coffee Bean had a mocha latte, so... <laughs> Close enough, yeah. <laughs> Stupid things, no? Yeah. And how is it to work for Starbucks? Yeah, it was great fun, man. Like, the rush hour during the lunch period. Oh, that was crazy, you know, uh, I think that was the adrenaline that I first got a bit of uh, the addiction to it. Oh yeah, like, like uh, the, the rush uh-huh. mm, of getting things done or churning out drinks and uh, taking orders and you know clearing the line. And your first proper bar gig? Ah, uh, so two years later, I I started working in a bar. It's called Loof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a rooftop bar down at uh, City Hall area. It's okay. opposite. L O O F. L O O F. Yeah, yeah. it's a Singaporean loose term for saying uh, roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so rooftop bar, uh, on a third story of Audience Towers. So, uh, yeah, that was in uh, 09, 2009, when I was nineteen. 
uh, was in school, mm-hmm. was doing interior design, was in a band, needed money uh-huh. for partying, uh-huh. drinking, course, yeah, no. jamming. So worked in a bar. Singapore has grown so much in the past uh, like 11 years in yeah. terms of bars, right? Yeah, yeah right. You would agree? I would agree, man. I would agree. I think it's interesting to talk to you because you've actually have witnessed the whole growth of it, right? Starting mm-hmm. from probably like, you know, the early stage where you didn't have so many cocktail bars and now, you know, you mm-hmm. have so many amazing bars around, you know? Mm-hmm. How did the, this experience at Louvre sh- uh, shape you? And uh, was it like a full-on cocktail experience mm-hmm. or was it more of a high-volume bar? Uh, it was a high volume bar back in the days. Um, there was no bars or there was no craft cocktail bars yet. So Louvre, at Louvre, we were actually turning out a lot of cocktails like mojitos and uh, a lot of signature cocktails as well. Mm-hmm. So in fact, it was already I, I would consider it a cocktail bar in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although we were doing a lot of beers as well and wines as well at the place, but at that point of time in two thousand and nine, Louvre for me was where I started a lot to learn how to make cocktails from scratch mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time there was a bar that was opening I think that was uh, around the same time it was Bar Stories which uh-huh, is uh, uh-huh. still around today mm-hmm. there were a lot of bars then I mean like uh, there were a lot of um, fresh fruit cocktail bars no no menu clay barcode were Bar like Stories not, they were not exactly but they were more omakase Mm-hmm. So, or they were more like bespoke drink, bespoke bar. Mm-hmm. So, just tell me what you like. Are I've got some you? fruits, okay. yeah, you know, fresh fruit, cut it up, make on the spot for you. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, in that essence, I think it's a bit Japanese. Um, but it's still very Western in terms of you know hospitality. Mm-hmm. Personally, I never been there to those bars when I was nineteen years old. But just looking at the pictures and 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 reading up about them, you know, you kind of get a sense of how things are like. Mm-hmm. Also, I had a few opportunities to meet some of the people who work there mm-hmm. and you know you just listen to the stories that they tell you about oh I made this drink and how's work there you know, and stuff like that so you just just listening and oh very nice very nice very cool I still remember one um, one time at working at Louvre there was a colleague who shared with me how Japanese bartending was like you know so he was telling me about uh, how in Japanese bartending you pick the eyes singularly for to the shaker uh-huh. and I was thinking like Shit, man! If you told me to do that at the uh, at Louvre to the uh, shakers, the uh, yeah. <laughs> so from from there to Jigger and Pony, what do you think are the um, places that shaped you the most in terms of uh, who you are today as a bartender mm-hmm. and as a bar manager? Uh, I mean, everywhere that I've been to, I feel I feel there's a bit of a there's a piece that I take away mm-hmm. at Louvre. It really shaped the whole foundation and basics of what bartending is. Um, back then there was there was nothing about you know being a mixologist or mm-hmm. making a super intricate drink you know it's just let's make a drink mm-hmm. you know uh, but let's make it fast mm-hmm. and let's make it as a team so that was uh, the part about Louvre that you know really shaped me to be a team player to learn to make simple drinks right uh, four years later after my national service mm-hmm. that was when I joined Jigger and Pony. So, like, in terms of, uh, of just I wanted to quickly touch mm. on national service. How long does national service last for? Uh, two years. So, you've got two, two compulsory years. years of national service? Yeah. And uh, how was that for you to drop everything and sort of go for it? Like, is it an experience that, like, gave you a lot or is it something that you wish you didn't have to do? No, I was okay with it, man. Like, um, I think national service is something that is very important and it's nice to nice to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was looking forward to going to my national service. Um, for me, it's always about going all out or none at all 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wanted to be, you know, the best soldier. I wanted to go to become an officer, um, become a navy officer. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, I had some medical problems, so I was, you know, stuck in the middle. Okay, yeah. okay. But anyway, you know, went through it two years, did my best. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that it is a part of your life for every Singaporean man where you could take a break from life. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. So then you joined the Jiga group. How did yeah. uh, that opportunity came about and uh, what was Jiga and Pony back then? Right. So back then when I was um, freshed out of the National Service on the Army, I actually worked in a bar mm-hmm. for about three months. Didn't work out too well. So I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to go to um, interior design. I'm going to be a designer. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sending my application for a design firm. Went for one interview. Mm-hmm. Told me, all right, Jerry is very good, but uh, I need to go through another interview with my other partner. Mm-hmm. Right, so I went back home. Um, and then opened Facebook and I saw that one of my friends from National Service was uh, working in Jiren Pony. Okay. So I knew that around that time, I already knew that I wanted to learn or I wanted to do Japanese bartending. Mm-hmm. And I already knew about the existence of uh, Jiren Pony. I think that was a few months old, a couple of months old. And that it is a bar that focuses on classics with Japanese techniques. So that really intrigued me a lot. But it was, like I said, you know, I already gave up on bartending. I wanted to go to interior design. Mm-hmm. And I think because, because one of some of my bar friends told me that, oh, Jiga is full now. You know, we have people like Aki, Anthony, Sam. So I don't think there's any space. So I didn't even bother trying. So, you know, when I went home and I saw that my friend was working at Jiga and Pony, I was like, oh, wait a minute. You got in? Okay, cool. Can you try asking for me? <laughs> so, what was it like? Because I understand that you liked the bartending aspect of it, but mm-hmm. because you were at this point, you were working in interior design, right? Yeah, I wasn't working yet. I was uh, waiting for another interview before I got a job. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you were in the process of going through there? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. then what did your friend say? Friend said, uh, yeah, you know, the boss said, yes, we have some we have some vacancies left. Uh, let's, let's set up a trial shift. So while I was waiting for my second interview with the design firm, I said, yeah, why not? Let's do a trial shift, man. Maybe, you know, if all works out, I can do one or two years in uh, in, in Jigger and Pony and then go back to do interior design. Uh-huh. So we set up an interview with Koi. Koi and Aki. Um, and then we started a trial shift a few days later. Uh-huh. Yeah. So one week trial shift and one week later I was to decide, what do you want? So the point that was that was the most stressful part of my life at that point of time when I was uh-huh. 20, 20, 23. Okay. <laughs> like I was talking to Sam, Sam Wong outside, you know, having a cigarette. And so I was like, ah, man, I can't decide, man, what do I, what do I want to do. You know, I want to do both really bad. So after the night of, sleepless night of thinking, you know, the next day I said, all right. I'm this gonna, is it. This is it. But I'm going to do bartending. And how was bartending, bartending perceived uh, back then here in Singapore? And uh, did your family approve of it? Because like, okay, you mm-hmm. have uh, yeah, completed your studies and now you were about to get a, like you were looking for a job in that thing that you trained for. Mm. But then all of a sudden you decided to change careers for something like bartending. Yeah. Like, I, d- I don't know how you, how did your family take it? I think my family still felt like maybe I was uh, finding my way and eventually I was to go back to doing an office job. Okay. I don't think they were entirely supportive, but I don't think they were against, against it. it yeah. Okay. Mm. Maybe yeah, I was already my 20s so they felt like you know there's nothing much to worry about anyway uh, yeah mm-hmm. but I think the society had still still had was still growing into accepting bartending as a profession uh-huh. it's definitely different from what we have today 
Yeah. And so how's uh, Jigger and Pony, how was Jigger and Pony then? And uh, how long have you worked there for? Have you worked there mm-hmm. since? Yeah, uh, so I've been in Jigger and Pony since since uh, 2013. Okay. Back then, Jigger and Pony, when we first started, uh, I joined when it was six months old. It was in March 2013. I think back then we were still pretty... I mean, Indra and Goye came from a background of uh, not having bars. It was their first, mm-hmm. you know, they first opened that bar with... Uh, they were not in the industry anyway, also any before. A lot of the structure or the, the infrastructure was very different from what we had at Louvre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not the typical um, F&B nightlife, you know, culture that we had or that I experienced. So it was quite fresh for me. Okay. You know, there were some practices that we were doing that were not done before. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, we had a kind of like a performance review so that's something that you know you don't really have in a typical nightlife FMB job, mm-hmm. and also I think we were finding our footing, mm-hmm. you know, in twenty thirteen being one of the newer bar to open or yeah. the first few cocktail bars to open. Very much one of the first, yeah. Yeah, and I was learning as well. Mm-hmm. Like I had to ditch whatever I learned at Louf and you know restart from being an apprentice again, bar backing, and practicing the techniques, the shaking. You know, really understand. It really blew my mind, especially on the first day when I started my my trial shift, learning how to squeeze lime in the Japanese way. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is what I this is what I've signed up for, man. Like, uh-huh. I want to learn all this. I want to learn all these techniques that the Japanese apply, mm-hmm. and you know, go into their mind and think why do they do this instead of that uh, conventional way. Yeah. So all this really excited me a lot. Yeah, as a 23-year-old bartender converting to Japanese-style mm. bartending. And uh, so Jigger and Pony was, um, has moved recently? Yeah, so we moved into uh, we moved out of our original home from Amoy Street. It was a street bar. Now we moved into a hotel, Amara Hotel. And why is uh, that? Um, I think it's just timely that we felt that, you know, after so many years of operating a bar, having few restaurants that we learned how to operate a bar the best way mm-hmm. that could benefit us in our way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, back then at Jigger and Pony in Amoy Street, business was very good. Mm-hmm. So every weekend we were full and we had to turn away people. So we felt like, man, let's, uh, this, is, this bar is too small and we're not designed for that volume. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. the service stations were not well equipped to, to handle that volume. So a lot of times it, it puts a lot of um, more stress and pressure to deliver. To, yeah, mm-hmm. to deliver. That was one reason. And I think Jigger and Pony by then at Amoy Street in the six years there, we were quite, we were quite, we're getting a bit, um, what do you call it, status quo. Comfortable. Know. Yeah, comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a lot of new bars that are opening that are more exciting. Mm-hmm. So it felt like it was a good opportunity to refresh, refurbish. Like reinvent yourselves, right? Yeah, reinvent mm-hmm. ourselves as well. Um, yeah, I mean, really, really put a lot of work into refreshing our brand, strengthening the brand. So, so we had a we had this space at Amara that was, we had that feeling that this would work, you know, like this was a space. This was the space that we we could use, or mm-hmm. we we this was a space that was for Jigger and Pony. So, hence we took up that uh, the decision to move out of Amoy Street, mm-hmm. which is a shop house, to a space and totally redesign the, the the bar. So, 
we had the funds to install better service stations to quicken the service mm. um, speed. We had uh, also fundings to have better, like, you know, sound absorbent panels to have a better experience for the guests. Mm-hmm. Invest in better sound system as well, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's all about, end of the day, I guess, it's all about the uh, experience for the guests. We want to make sure that they get the best and we can do our job easily as well. So, you have made the space larger, and uh, yep. but the, the ethos uh, stayed the same. So, what, yep. how would you describe to a person who's never been to Jigger and Pony what Jigger and Pony is about? Um, so, Jigger and Pony is a classic cocktail bar, focuses on classic and a lot of techniques as well. But we are not, uh, we have a fun, convivial place, you know. We want to, it's a bit like, I'll say it's the best of both worlds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, behind the bar, we are attentive to details on the drinks but on the other on the other side of the bar mm-hmm. you know we let loose a bit we have a bit of fun we're loud um, the music is pretty upbeat mm-hmm. yeah so this this in, in a sense is like there's a so man. something that's very approachable and yeah. easy to understand yeah and uh, <laughs> in terms of like uh, menu how big is your mm-hmm. menu and what kind of drinks do you have there so menu wise we have uh, 27 cocktails mm-hmm. six punch bowls Couple of uh, mocktails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the format is now in a magazine style since we moved from Amoy Street, um, which also gives us a chance to reinvent our menu, which which has been the same booklet for six years at Amoy Street. <clears throat> now we have the man- the magazine menu. It gives us a lot of uh, room and chance to tell stories, mm-hmm. put pretty pictures. You know, yet at the back we maintain our. So we believe that. You know, a menu should be easy to read through and understand. Mm-hmm. So that's why we always have all the drinks on one page. All the drinks are in the same price of $23 so that you don't have to decide whether, ah, today I feel like I can spend a bit more. Let's go for the 27 drink. But, you know, tomorrow you feel like, maybe let's not do the 27. <laughs> yeah. after. You're, not, you're not that happy. So yeah. <laughs> a bit less. Yeah. And uh, so you've got, to, just to recap, you've got all your drinks mm-hmm. on the main magazine and each yeah. page more or less is a drink and explains the story about it. Yeah. But you've got the too long, didn't read version of the menu at yeah. the back where yeah. you just have all your drinks. and But you still have a strong focus on classics. Yes, I think uh, that, was our, that was what we were built on. Mm-hmm. And till today, you know, this is the DNA of the Jigger and Pony group. We, we make our classics well and we we know the classics. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know, you can have your signature drinks. We can we have a lot of our signature drinks as well. But all the signature drinks are also study on... They start from a classic. Yeah, yeah. start on a classic. They can even be a trace of the classic. Like, you know, let's let's reinvent, mm-hmm. for example, the Ram Motion Fist. Mm-hmm. You know, let's look into a drink like Jungle Bunny and see what we can do to make it better. Or even the Whiskey Highball. Uh, and our new menu coming up next month, we'll be looking into focus soda, bubbles, mm. you know, how do we, I think for us, it's a bit like seven years on, you know, we've been exploring since for the past seven years and now we are going back to basics again, uh-huh, uh-huh. really, really going back to basics, you know, we were looking at drinks, like I said, you know, gin and tonic, focus soda, you know, you, you might be thinking like, oh shit, are you sure you're going to do these drinks? But yes, we really, um, study these drinks uh-huh, we uh-huh. break them down and then we put them back together, together okay yeah. and uh, would you like to talk to us about some of the highlights from your menu or the things that you are the most proud of you mentioned the Ramos Gin Fits uh, I think yours is a quite cool interpretation of it would you like to talk to us about how that happens um, so that drink was a I mean if you look at that drink it, it is a very visually pleasing drink 
and you can really tell that that is inspired by the the original drink of uh, the Realm of Gin Fizz, which is a drink with gin, milk, cream, lemon juice, sugar, orange blossom water. So when we look at certain drinks, you know, we, we always, in Jing and Pony style, we deconstruct the drink and we reconstruct mm-hmm. them again, you know. Also, we look at certain issues that are may deter people from drinking the drink. For example, maybe it's too creamy, it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. Um... So that's why we decided to make a clear version okay. of a uh, Ramos Gin Fizz. So we use, uh, we clarify <laughs> the drink. And, you know, how do we garnish it to make it resemble the original drink? You know, mm-hmm. Ramos has that thick foam. So we took out the orange blossom water into the dr- from the drink and create a bubble mm-hmm. out of it. And we just, you know, garnish these bubbles on top of the drink. Mm-hmm. So the shape, if you if you look at the silhouette of drink, it looks like a Ramos Gin Fizz. Mm-hmm. But if you put the colors in now, it's a clear version. Mm-hmm. And the bottom half is a liquid. The upper half is the bubbles. And mm-hmm. it's all flavored with orange blossom water. Yeah, so instead of putting the, you know, the dashes of uh, orange blossom water into... Inside, you turn yeah. it into the foam. That's very yeah. cool. And uh, yeah. how about things like your highball? How highball. did you go? Because highball is such a mm. amazing drink. But yeah. it's also like, such a like some some would say it's easy, but it's a, mm. it's a drink that you can take to the next level, right? How yeah. did you guys do that? So whiskey highball, let's put it in the context, is a drink with whiskey and soda water, mm-hmm. right? So Aki came one day with uh, he went to Media, the Japanese market, and he came back with this two liters bottle of Hokkaido soft water, mm-hmm. and he said, "Let's try to make uh, a better highball." So that was when he used a Japanese technique called mewari, mm-hmm. which is to macerate the ingredients together for a few days. And then, you know, it's a bit like infusion. Mm-hmm. All right. So what we did was, or maybe let me explain to the, let me explain the, the drink in, in summarized mm-hmm. context. So Whiskey Highball in, in Jigar and Pony, we look at the drink as a whole. What could be done better to a Whiskey Highball? Mm-hmm. All right. If you have a used good whiskey, what about good water? What about different sorts of water? Uh, sorry, different source of water, you know. Um, we are all accustomed to mineral water, mm-hmm. Singapore's uh, new water. So we don't really think much about water, you know. Um, but we use a certain kind of water that is soft, low in mineral. So what this does is that it helps to place more emphasis on the whiskey instead. Mm-hmm. Um, it brings out the flavors. It has this natural umami or savoriness that you know, after a few days of macerating, it it makes the drink become becomes one. What do you mean by macerating? So you keep the whiskey and the water together for three days? Yeah, and then we, we, we carbonate it mm-hmm. uh, on the third day. Oh, so the third day you carbonate the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it becomes uh, bubbly. Mm-hmm. So otherwise it's just mizuwari, like mm-hmm. just whiskey and water. Mm-hmm. Um, but we carbonate it, we keep it chill. So that's our version of the whiskey highball. It's mm-hmm. uh, ready to pour. So... Consistency is there. Makes our job quicker as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Drinks are out fast as well. So you guys uh, do some serious volume there, do you? Uh, yeah, we do, man. Like, it's a 140-seater. Mm-hmm. So some of the drinks, we started to pre-batch them uh, for a good reason. You know, in the past, we were like, let's uh, stay really Japanese and make everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know? But sometimes, you know, we, we, we felt that that robs away a bit of the experience from the customers. 
because we either take too long to make a drink mm-hmm. on a Friday night, 11 p.m. You just want to make sure that all drinks are out. You know, if as you are as possible, yeah. Absolutely. And if you are at a bar, you want your drink to come out fast and accurate. You know, if you mm. order a drink in, if you order a drink now, you would expect the the correct drink to come in the next three minutes. Nobody likes to wait for a drink for 10 minutes or 20 minutes. No, no, and I think um, I agree with you, and I think it's a great way to 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 say it the way you say it is that it just you rob from the guest experience by getting into wait for too long. Yeah, right? yeah. I think one thing I learned uh, through my seven years working in Jingle and Pony, or you know, something that shaped me was that we I try to minimize mistakes, mm-hmm. and I try to not not place myself in a situation where I can allow Make that mistake. mistake yeah. mm-hmm. Or rather, you know, allow that mistake to come to me. Mm-hmm. So if we think about a way around all this, we can easily eliminate a lot of mistakes that may damper your reputation as a bar mm-hmm. or the customer's experience. That's very cool. Um, just a last thing about Jigger and Pony. How did mm. you guys feel about your recent results in the awards and did they mean uh, a lot to you? Um. Yeah. They uh, of course they mean a lot to us. You know, like uh, we've been working hard for seven years. It's nice to be recognized. Um, but of course this is not the end. It is a like a third of team every day. It doesn't matter that we are whatever awards we get or the placing. You know, these are all. In fact, if any, they should be the motivation for you to perform even better. Mm-hmm. To deliver the best experience for every customer who walk in, mm-hmm. be it someone who comes for the awards or you know, someone who just passed by. Mm-hmm. Everyone should get that precious piece of, or that, that the great piece of the Jigen exp- Pony experience, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, no, I love the love that our hard work has um, paid off, in a sense. That's very cool. Yeah. Very well deserved. Um, in hospitality, we tend to work a lot. Yeah. What is it that you have uh, that helps you unplug from, from work? Like, how do you invest ah, your time off? Right. So... Over the past seven years, I've uh, done several different things to unplug. Recently, I discovered that I work a lot. Uh-huh. So I tend to bring work home. <laughs> yeah, you, it's tend, very... you tend to discover that at some point. In yeah, your it's very ironic because I chose to be a bartender so that I don't have to bring any work home. <laughs> but, you know, like, I realized that I've been bringing a lot of work home and I do a lot of work um, out of my work hours. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it sometimes, but I feel like there was a bit of a burnout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I've told myself since then that, okay, let's restrict work to work hours. Uh-huh. I shall not set up any meetings with anybody on my off days mm-hmm. and certainly not on Fridays anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fridays are always a 12-hour shift for us. So, I mean, I used to do meetings in 1 p.m., 2 p.m. and then work all the way to 3 a.m., right? N- so Not now, cool, yeah. So now, yeah, I just block out my Fridays. Mm-hmm. Just come to work at 3, finish at 3 a.m. So, yeah, that that helped a lot. Also, I started to learn music again. Okay. Yeah, music was a big part of my life. Uh, when I was 10, I learned music to... I started to learn music to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the fun of it. When I was 17, I went deeply into music. You know, I formed a band, grew out my hair. We had a band. Every one of us were in always in leather jacket, always oh, 30 sexy. degrees in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we really wanted to succeed as a, as a musician. What yeah. kind of music? We used to play a lot of uh, my band used to play heavy metal or oh ha- hair metal, glam, glam metal. Man. Yeah, That's so cool. I used to have purple hair when I was sixteen. Wow, listen to metal every day. Okay, you gotta show me later. Yeah, yeah long purple hair, man. Oh, yeah, that's I used to wear makeup, cool. man. Hardcore. Yeah, that's cool, man. 
It's a bit of a punk <laughs> element there, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I that's what we punk, metal. Uh, that's, a, that's a big thing for me. Mm. And uh, you picked that up again, you said? Yeah, so recently I started to learn the keyboard and to sing. <laughs> oh, that's so cool, <laughs> Something that I always wanted to do, you know, I always wanted to be... I was a, I was a drummer in a band, but I always wanted to be the singer, mm-hmm. you know, the lead vocalist of oh, the of band, because that's the, that's, the, that's the guy on the stage that has the most control of the crowd. So, yeah, finally, you know, last uh, last August, I, I, I stopped thinking mm-hmm. and I went straight to the music school, signed myself up. Oh, that's so awesome. So yeah. You, you're, you're studying music right now? Yeah, yeah. Congratulations, man. Thank you, thank you. And uh, how did you pick up keyboard now? Because it's quite late. Yeah, yeah, I just did uh, since August. And how is it? Is it difficult? It's a bit difficult, <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Like, the only reason or maybe one of the reasons why I was so happy playing the drums back then was that you know, you don't have to think about too much of the music theory. Mm-hmm. It's just banging the drums away, uh-huh. staying on time. A lot of that, uh, it comes a lot. It comes a lot for me. It's about it's a lot of that feel. Mm-hmm. You know, when you that goes into the playing. But for things like guitar or keyboard or piano or anything like that, there's a, there's always that. You know, are you are you in tune? Are you on skill? Are you off uh, off the key or something? You know, so that was. That was something that I didn't want to think too much about. Yeah, so now learning the keyboard, again, I I went into studying the music theory a bit. I have a bit more better understanding of what a skill is and uh-huh. how you stay in key. So yeah, that was that was very refreshing for me. So now on my off days, instead of working, I just practice uh, the keyboard. keyboard. Yeah. That's so cool though, eh? I yeah. have, you, you gotta play something for me at some point. Huh? All right. <laughs> you can dedicate a song, I'll learn, I'll learn it for you. <laughs> you, can, you can play some Iron Maiden on the keyboard when oh, we meet next time. <laughs> give me two years, give me two years. Exactly. And uh, cool. So I think that's a good thing to wrap it up. And one last question we ask everyone. If you could choose your very last drink, what would that drink be? Wow, I never <laughs> thought about this. Deep, deep cut, man. I'm quite a sentimental person, so I would say maybe the old-fashioned. Okay, and yeah. why would that be? Because the old-fashioned was the first drink that I learned oh, uh, cool. from one of my mentors mm-hmm. to make it with craft, mm-hmm. a crafted old-fashioned. Uh-huh. Cool. It was awesome to talk to you. Thank you very much for Thank you, man. Thanks for having awesome me. Though. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Gerald. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for McKelly, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Besser for Adrian. Thank you for listening.